Welcome to Live at the Ballpark. On this episode, you'll hear the story of a young aspiring sportscaster who lost his father shortly after high school graduation and then received a sympathetic phone call that he'll never forget from a future baseball Hall of Famer. And on the other end of the line, it was Bob Costas. Tom, it was very nice to meet you today. I'm very sorry about your dad. His dad also passed away when he was 18. And he said, by the way, did you know that Jack Buck's father also passed away when he was 18? And we talked for a while about what I wanted to do with my career. And he said, boy, you're a lot further along than I was here, right? Welcome to Life at the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers and coaches, writers and broadcasters about their lives around baseball, from the sandlots to the big league ballparks. Hi, I'm John Frost, and my guest today is... Tom Ackerman is sports director for KMOX. He's an anchor, he's a play-by-play man, he's a writer, he's a video podcaster with his own garage happy hour. Tom, thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark. John, it is my pleasure. Always great to hear your voice. It reminds me of spring training. Now, you do dozens of interviews every month, interviewing other people. So what does it feel like to be on the other end of it? I enjoy it. You know, we're in the storytelling business, so I, I often uh, speak to different groups, radio stations, love doing, you know, Facebook Lives, different shows and podcasts. It's really how I kind of built my brand over the years was appearing on different shows and spreading the word about St. Louis sports. It's a city I know you're very familiar with, and um, it's uh, how I grew up. I thought every place was like St. Louis, where sports was the talk of the town. And how I became a broadcaster is because I grew up listening to all the sportscasters in town, and we've had some great ones. And, uh, you know, you just kind of pass on the tradition. So I'm just kind of doing what they did. And I've really, really enjoyed that. And it just, I really light up when I see these kids, especially in St. Louis growing up, fans of the teams, it reminds me of myself. And uh, it's just so much fun. It really is. And then when the teams are good in St. Louis, that's even better for us because then you can speak to other markets and, and really, really have some fun with it. So when did you know that you wanted to be a sportscaster? Was it early in age? Yeah, at a very young age, for sure. I loved the cadence and the, the rhythm of a, of a broadcast, whether it was radio or TV. And I always dreamed that I would be you know, a college and then professional basketball player. I, I loved playing basketball when I was a kid. I used to run around the basement with this little Nerf basketball set calling my own games. I could, I could call an entire game, and then I'd write down you know, a little box score of what happened. I'd go out into the backyard and throw the football to myself my parents probably thought something was wrong with me but you know i'd run out there like i was running down the sideline and trying to get kicked for a touchdown and i was calling it at the same time or i'd have a tennis ball and i'd fire it against a, a stack of railroad ties like i was a pitcher and then the ball would carry them off of those and i'd go get it go get a ground ball like i'm ozzy smith and i'm calling it you know as i'm as i'm doing those things so that was just how i grew up I and I just loved the sound of it always wanted to be a sportscaster whether it was calling play-by-play or talking about it in an interview form or doing sportscasts hosting television radio didn't matter I, I knew that's what I wanted to do so you knew at a very early age I did you know how was I going to get there I didn't totally know that plan but I knew what my dream was you know I definitely looked up to and nobody really forced me into it it was you know my dad's love of sports 
that I really followed. He had a great sense for the moment, you know, and if the game was down to the wire, he would make sure I got in front of the TV with him to watch it. Uh, we traveled to games together. So being around a dad who really loved sports and had a deep passion for it, it kind of rubbed off on me. So how did you fall in love with baseball? You just do, and you're in St. Louis, and, you know, it just so happened that the Cardinals were really good when I was growing up. Yep. So I was born, you know, in the 70s, and the team that I followed in the 80s got really good. I mean, my earliest memories of the Cardinals are the first years of Whitey Herzog. Mm-hmm. You know, 1982, they go win the world championship with Bruce Suter as their closer and Ozzie Smith as their shortstop, and they acquired both of them, and you know, the infield of Hernandez, her over fell in the outfield. You got Lonnie Smith and Willie McGee and George Hendrick and Daryl Porter catching a great staff. And that 82 team, I remember well, it was the 85 team when I was 10 years old. I was born in 75, the 85 team. I mean, I memorized everything. I, I was obsessed with that team. I still to this day think it's, you know, a top five Cardinals team of all time. Mm-hmm. And I really got into it as a 10-year-old kid playing baseball and, and watching these players play. It was just very exciting. So I was fortunate. I mean, I grew up in an era where 82, 85, 87, the Cardinals won the pennant all three times, went to the World Series, won one of them, came very, you know, took the others to seven games, came very close to winning all three. And that was an incredible way to grow up. It really was. And, you know, but when you grow up in St. Louis, regardless of whether the team's good or not, baseball is just part of the culture here. It's what people talk about. It's what people discuss, you know, during Christmas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's the team going to look like? The off season is a huge topic. It's, it's 365 days a year here. We are a sports town for sure. It is rooted deep in the, in the culture here and handed down through the generations. So part of, being a St. Louis kid. Well, when I lived in St. Louis, of course, I worked downtown. And the thing that I remember about it is you could tell when the Cardinals were home just by the way people dressed. Yeah, you know, we're a regional draw here in St. Louis uh, for the Cardinals. So a good weekend crowd would be 40, 50% out of towners. You know, you'd have people driving in from Arkansas and Kentucky and parts of Illinois. I say parts of Illinois because if you go above Springfield, that's Cubs territory. If you're below, <laughs> it's Cardinals. And, uh, you know, Iowa and Oklahoma and all these areas, people would come in to watch the Cardinals play. You know, it's one of the biggest cities uh, around this area. So huge draw. And, you know, I've, I've heard that from a lot of out-of-town friends who come in and they're blown away by like, gosh, I stayed at a hotel and it was all Cardinals fans. Well, mm-hmm. you know, they're traveling in for the weekend and, yeah. and making a weekend of it. So yeah, the, the way that they wear red and wear all the Cardinals gear, it, it reminds you of a college football atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the one way that I could describe it to people who haven't experienced it is it is a family atmosphere in a lot of ways, but it's a very, focused crowd they really understand the game and they know it because their parents taught it to them and and taught them to be cardinals fans and and the cardinals have been good i mean pretty much every year they have a team that has a shot and that also helps so it's been a fun ride that's for sure and your dad was a major influence for you was he not in your love for sports and your love for baseball and your love for the cardinals yeah yeah for sure you know my dad um 
Yeah, it's interesting. My mom, I haven't even talked about this with anybody, but my mom gave me a Christmas present over this uh, Christmas break while we're talking here. She gave me a flash drive of home videos from age 12 to 14, and, and some of it are Christmas gatherings of family, and it was amazing to sit there and watch that. I just watched it yesterday, and my dad passed away when I was almost 18. He died suddenly of a heart attack. And so to see the, these videos and you have my dad, my grandparents, my first dog, you know, like all these like people and, and my second dog also, you know, that it's since passed away. Like it was something to really watch all these people in one room together that are, they're no longer with me. But what really stuck with me was the longest segment of this flash drive is of me playing a seventh grade basketball game. And I didn't really play all that well. I was watching this this footage, and my dad literally like filmed the entire game on this little handheld camcorder. And even though I wasn't playing, it was really well done. I thought he followed the ball well. He, he kept looking up at the scoreboard and capturing it. You could tell he really did enjoy watching his little boy play, and it was neat to see that perspective from his eyes. And so, yeah, he, he had a deep passion for sports. My dad was a good athlete growing up. He taught me a lot about why sports are important and why it makes you a better teammate in life and in business. And, uh, and uh, it did, it, it's been a big part of who I am for sure. Yeah, I understand too, that didn't you get the chance to go to Cooperstown with your dad on father's day? Yeah, yeah, I went to uh, went to Cooperstown with my dad on Father's Day, right? And it wasn't long after that that he passed away, actually. We were on a college visit. We went to uh, look at Cornell and Syracuse, and, and a lot of schools I ended up not going to. Uh, I went to Indiana, but there's no way we're, we're going up there and not going to Cooperstown. And so we were, yeah, we were up there in the summer, and we're there on Father's Day, and it was his first time at the baseball hall of fame. Mm. And so it was, it was an emotional time for him. And I did not go back again until 2014 when Tony LaRussa mm. was inducted into the okay. baseball hall of fame. All right. And I have since been back again a couple of years ago to see Bob Costas go into the hall of fame Okay, and cover that for KMOX. So yeah, we had some great trips. I mean, my dad was the kind of guy who would say, you know, the final four, let's, let's try to go to that. Like, let's, <laughs> he, he wouldn't just settle like to sit there and watch it. Like, let's find a way to get in there. He always had an idea like, yeah, we can, we can get, there's always a way, there's always a way to get a ticket or to get to this place or that mm-hmm. place. And yeah. so we had some fun, very fortunate. Oh, it's neat that you have that, memory of going to Cooperstown with your dad. The uh, first time I went to Cooperstown was the induction ceremonies in 99. Not a bad group that year. A fellow by the name of Nolan Ryan and George Brett and Robin Yount, they were all inducted that year, so that was a pretty good year to go. That's a pretty good year. Mm-hmm. And then I think not long after that was uh, Osborne Earl Smith went into the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. and mm-hmm. I was not there for that. Ron Jacober covered that one for us. And he's become a really great friend. And, you know, to think about all the Cardinals and all the people represented in, in Cooperstown, it's very, very special. I mean, it is, if you're a baseball fan, there is nothing like Cooperstown. And you can go anytime. Anytime is great. Mm-hmm. You know, don't let people tell you that there's a better time to go than others. Because if you go when it's quiet and empty, it's incredibly serene and beautiful. If you go when it's during a Hall of Fame ceremony weekend it's electric 
and full of life and you can be walking down the street to get a cup of coffee and <laughs> one of the greatest players in the history of the game is in line it's really neat and uh, you know it's just a small village beautiful and the hall of fame itself is very special i want to talk about your dad again because he passed away shortly after you graduated from high school tell me about what that impact was for you uh it was difficult you know it was a very sudden heart attack that happened actually in our home while we were home very early in the morning and so you know my mom and i uh, and there was nothing we could have done. He It was an, uh, a massive heart attack. He died instantly. We did try to revive him, and there was nothing that could be done. So, you know, I was almost 18. I had just graduated from high school. I, you know, was in shock for, for a while. And then I'm going off to college a few months later, and so my instinct was to not go and to stay home and help her through mm-hmm. any difficulty she was dealing with and, sure. and she made sure that I was going to, to go. And um, I think mostly, John, what it did was I grew up very quickly. I think that I went from boy to man pretty fast and I had to learn a lot about myself and become more of a leader and maybe take charge a little bit more of, of who I was. I was going to have my hand held by my dad. And uh, I, to this day, I can still hear little things that he would say and try to try to go about business like he would. The one thing my dad was really good at was relating to everybody. Everyone seemed to to like him. I mean, he founded a, a a drapery company here in St. Louis that he and his business partner started out of a garage, and through hard work, they grew that into a pretty large you know drapery company here in St. Louis and. Whether you were a fellow business owner or CEO or the guy who swept the floor or cleaned the bathroom, you know, they were tight with my dad. I mean, he could talk to anybody anytime. And so I've just always tried to be approachable and carry that on just like he would. He was just a a good down-to-earth kind of guy, but he worked extremely hard and he played hard, too. He liked uh, the fun things in life and not a partier by any stretch i mean just let's go to a game let's let's go fishing let's enjoy the little things in life and have a good laugh and so i you know i think the biggest thing was i learned to soak things in a little bit more and i if anything didn't go my way i thought well you know nothing's ever going to be as as hard as losing your dad and one thing that that should teach me is to appreciate life a little bit more so i did and i still to this day man it's been how long now? 27 years, mm. uh, 28 years. But I still feel that way where I soak in every day and just appreciate being here and love it. And so I think that's an important thing to remember. And during that time, you were still interested. You were gearing up for becoming a sportscaster. And your parents gave you a graduation present. Tell me about that present. Yeah, so my that year my graduated from high school, my graduation gift was a week-long broadcasting camp at UMSL, University of Missouri-St. Louis. And it so happened that that week of camp was the week that my dad died. So my dad died on a Sunday. And we were to start that Monday through Friday camp and seminar on Monday. So my mom called 
the director and said, you know, he's not going to be able to make it and explain what had happened. And they said, you know, you can absolutely take your refund and on us if he ever wants to come to any of the sessions, he's more than welcome. Mm. And so I did take him up on that. I did not feel like going until I saw the schedule and noted that on the last day that Bob Costas was one of the speakers. Mm. So I decided that I would like to go to that. So I, after my dad's funeral earlier that week, I gathered myself and drove to Umsel and went to sit in the back and listen to Bob Costas speak. And I had my binder, which I still have here in the other room somewhere. I kept it with all the materials in it. And I, at the end, I stood in line and got his autograph on the front of my binder. Mm. And then as I left, the director caught that out of the corner of his eye and he went up to Bob and he said, that kid that just got your autograph, his dad died on Sunday. Wow. And Bob said, give me his phone number. I'm going to call him. Wow. So I was sitting at home the next day. It might've been the same day, same day or the next day. And my mom came into my room and said, you have a phone call. And I said, I don't really feel like talking to anybody. And she said, I think you should take this call. It's Bob Costas. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I, pick up the phone and I'm like, Bob, how are you? Like I, <laughs> like I knew him and he's you know, on the other end of the line. It was Bob Costas. Tom, it was very nice to meet you today. I'm very sorry about your dad. And I wanted to call you. And we got to tell, we talked for a good half hour at least about the fact that his dad also passed away when he was 18. Mm. And he said, by the way, did you know that Jack Buck's father also passed away when he was 18? My gosh. And we, talked for a while about what I wanted to do with my career. And he said, boy, you're a lot further along than I was at your age. You know, and I was like, wow. For a while, after I hung up the phone, I said, that's what I want to do. I want to be a sportscaster. And I know it now. And so, you know, Bob and I kept in touch. This is, of course, before internet and cell phones. So we're, you know, sending little postcards and notes to each other. Mm. And after my graduation at Indiana, he found out through some friends that I had gotten an entry-level job at KMOX. It was absolutely forward. Like, wow. You know, <laughs> uh, he had nothing to do with it. But he had, he was impressed. And so we've kept in touch ever since. And he's really a great friend. You know, it's nice to have a friend like that at that level, but mostly someone that I can text message or a call once in a while. And I know that what I say is not going anywhere except to him. It's just I need a little advice. So... It's been nice to have that. It's a great story. It's a wonderful story that you connected in that way and that he reached out to you. Now, you mentioned Jack Buck's father had passed away. Tell me about your relationship with Jack Buck. Uh, Legend. Almost, uh, you never even think you're going to be close to somebody like that, even though it's St. Louis. The fact that I, I had met him a couple of times just as a kid being in the same place at the same time to say hi or something, but I didn't know him at all. And so when I got hired at KMOX in August of 1997. Of course, every time I walked into the building, I was hoping to run into him. And so I was hired by the program director at KMOX, Tom Langmeyer. And it was very early in my days at KMOX that I walked into the sports office and he was in there. Mm. And he was sitting in there by himself. And I introduced myself to him and shook his hand. And I thought, wow, what a moment. I mean, this is like, here's Jack Buck. I mean, I've been listening to him my whole life. I looked up to him. There he is. He's, he's real. He's here. 
looked at me and he said, what kind of pizza do you like, kid? <laughs> and I said, uh, pepperoni. And he said, I'll buy it if you go downstairs and get it. And I said, you got it. So I he called a pizza place, ordered pizza. I went downstairs. He gave me money. I went downstairs, got it, brought it up. And, you know, we ate a, ate a little pizza and chatted. And my mom, or I called her and uh, told her, she said, how's it going? I haven't heard from you all day. I said, it's great. And things are going well here. I'm having pizza with Jack Buck right now. She's like, what? <laughs> I said, he's coming back. I got to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, but he was fun. You know, he, he was so, that's who he was. He understood people. And for whatever reason, I was one of those that he took under his wing and really helped me out. I mean, I was working for Campbell X, but he, he took care of me. And, you know, he vouched for me. He introduced me to people. So that was a huge, huge help to have somebody like that to, to watch work. The way that he treated people, the way that he gave back. Not to mention, you know, he's one of the greatest to ever get behind the microphone and call a game. But it was the way that he acted professionally and carried himself and how he was relatable to people was the greatest teaching. I mean, it was really like having an extra four years of education. I went to IU, four years of broadcasting school under Jack Buck. So I was able to work with him for almost five years. And it was, it was very special. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a Jack Buck story, don't they? <laughs> you get you talk yeah, to anybody. Yeah. I mean, Dan McLaughlin's got a great Jack Buck story. I'm sure you've heard it about his very first major league game was with Jack Buck, and he he was uh, slightly intimidated. I'm sure you felt the same way. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mm -hmm. mean, so many times, you know, where I had the opportunity to work with him on something, and you know, he treated me like I belonged. Mm -hmm. That was that was the neat thing. Is mm -hmm. that if I came to him with an idea or a report that I was going to give, he gave me instant credibility and trusted me. He treated me like an equal. It was it was a pretty amazing feeling, honestly. But he also, you know, was very honest in his assessments. I mean, there were many times where he would guide me and give me a, a little piece of advice that stuck with me. So those things, and honest advice. Let's talk about some of the people that you've bumped into and worked through the years. I know you've done a lot of things with Ozzie Smith charity work. I've heard you on broadcast with him. I know Ozzie is a, a pretty good golfer, and you've spent quite a bit of time with Ozzie. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with Ozzie Smith. Ozzie just turned 66, and he said it's not going to be long before he's shooting his age. He said he can't <laughs> wait for that day. And he'll do it, too. He's good. He's a really good player. He just gives back. So there's another one where, yeah, I still kind of laugh and sort of shake my head when I think that the player that I thought was my favorite growing up is now a friend of mine. It still kind of blows my mind. But, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely a giver, somebody that cares a lot about St. Louis and just a genuinely good person. I mean, I grew up, of course, watching him play on the field. It's nice to know that the players that you grew up idolizing become even better people. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really, that was really important to learn that. Then working at KMOX, you do become uh, mixed in the same company with some of these great celebrities, but it's up to you to develop that relationship. So I remember I had met him on a few occasions and, you know, I was now on the air at KMOX. I had been for a couple of years doing some Cardinals pregame, postgame, but you don't know if anybody's listening or if any of these people even know who you are. I mean, you know, it's Ozzie Smith, for goodness sakes. 
but we're sitting, I remember this so well, we're sitting at a banquet at Norwood Hills Country Club, and I think it was a luncheon, and I ended up being at the same table as Ozzy, and I was across the table from him, and it was towards the end of the lunch, and they were pouring everybody's coffee, and he looked over, and he goes, hey, Tom, could you pass the cream? And I thought, wow, Ozzy Smith knows my name. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we've become friends from working in the same areas, you know, mostly through PGA Reach, which is a big part of uh, who he is. Mm -hmm. He is, uh, he's worked at the PGA on helping bring events here to St. Louis, including the PGA Championship in 2018. And part of that was PGA Reach really started here in St. Louis, reaching out to anyone who, you know, showing that anyone, regardless of your background, should be able to learn the game and play the game. And he has been a big part in growing that. So I have jumped on board at his request to host some of his events as an MC. And so that has been a real thrill. It's been fun to interview him. What I've learned is both of us like to laugh a lot and kind of find some of the same things funny. But he's also a very competitive guy. I mentioned the golf and, and he, you know, he likes to win and he's always going to be that way. He's a big part of uh, St. Louis sports history mm-hmm. because of that competitiveness. Mm-hmm. And I always admired that too. You know, I loved how he came back from injury and how, you know, he never backed down from anybody, including at the end of his career, he kept on pushing. He's a great uh, person to look up to. Probably one of the top three trades in Cardinal history. Wouldn't you say with Lou Brock, I guess, probably at number one. I'd probably put it at number two, yeah. yeah I'd yeah. probably, uh, you know, Brock for Brolio being one and Templeton for Ozzie Smith being two. We were just talking about this recently. I'd say Bob Sykes for Willie McGee was a pretty good one. Pretty good one? <laughs> you know, there have been some great ones. But, yeah, I'd say in terms of best trades in St. Louis sports history, Ozzie's right up there in the top two or three for sure. And, of course, Gary Templeton was a star baseball player. That was not a throwaway. No, it was not. Sometimes those trades are maybe a bit of a gamble or a risk, but Whitey Herzog was dead set on getting Ozzy. Mm-hmm. He knew that the type of game that he wanted to play, mm-hmm. speed and run prevention, that mm-hmm. he was going to have to have a tremendous shortstop, and he wanted him. And someone who could hit near the top or bottom of the order, wherever, just to get that speed in the lineup, too. And he became a really good hitter, too, is what I also love about Ozzy. He really taught himself how to hit, how to gain. He gained a lot of strength and, and made himself into a good hitter, but you know, he's the finest shortstop anyone has ever seen. I mean, he's just, it wasn't just the acrobatic plays that you see in the highlight reels, but he made the routine plays over and over and over again so incredibly well. And what an amazing acquisition by Whitey and the Cardinals prior to the 82 season. It really changed Cardinals and, and actually mm-hmm. spawned like an entire generation of Cardinals fame. Mm-hmm of what I was talking about. Those teams in the 80s just exploded the Cardinals fan base into a different level. And a big reason was Ozzy. I was chatting with Ozzy one year at Fantasy Camp. And I asked him, I said, Ozzy was the, you know, talking about the home run in 1985 in the National League playoffs against Tom Needenfuhrer, which is just one of the classic home run calls of all time by Jack Buck, where he goes, go crazy, folks, go crazy. And I asked Ozzy, I said, Ozzy, was that your only left-handed home run that you ever hit and he went no no he says i've hit five others but that was the first one 
And that was obviously the the most famous. And Ozzy told me that at one event, this lady came up to him and she said, Ozzy, I want you to meet my son. She had a little boy with her that was four or five years old. She said, do it for him, do it for him. And this little boy recited word for word the Jack Buck play-by-play of go crazy, folks, go crazy. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game by the score of 3-2 to two and a home run by the Wizard. Go crazy. She said that every time they got in the car, they had a cassette tape of it. And the little boy, you know how kids are, they want to hear it over and over and over and over again. Well, he had memorized it, and he was doing it for Ozzy. And Ozzy got the biggest kick out of that. Oh, wow. That's so neat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Ozzy, by the way, Ozzy knows it by heart, too. Yeah. He knows the call by heart. Yeah. I mean, it's so neat. Sure. I mean, it is one of the iconic moments, no doubt about it. Yeah, that was his first left-handed hitting home run. And Mike Shannon knew that it was what he was trying to do. He said, you know, Ozzy's trying to pull the ball. And, like, I think it was two pitches later that he yanked it down the line and got it over the fence. People went crazy. Cardinals won the game. Just an amazing time in Cardinals history. What a great clout. You know, he doesn't hit that home run. He still is a Hall of Famer and mm-hmm. one of the most loved Cardinals, but that just took his celebrity to another level. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing time. Well, just a couple of other questions, and then, and then I'll let you go. I can't talk Cardinals history without remembering a couple of Hall of Famers we've lost this year. Tell me your remembrances of Bob Gibson. Well, Bob Gibson is the greatest Cardinals pitcher of all time. But, you know, what I remember is, as a human being, what a incredible presence he was always just being around people. You know, I did not get to grow up to see him play. But what I will always think of when I think of Bob Gibson is how in awe people were of him as a player and then in his post-playing career and what a great presence he was as a celebrity and how he just represented the strength of the Cardinals organization. And I just loved, loved, loved hearing him talk about the game, talk about standing players up, meaning, you know, you get you lean over a little too much, he's going to stand you up, mm-hmm. which means he's going to put one inside a little bit and get you up straight. Doesn't mean he's going to hit you. Uh, so if you look back at his stats, you might not have as many HBPs as some of the others in their careers, but uh, I'd like to look at the stats of people that didn't try or that got brushed back or were intimidated by him. And what a great competitor. You know, I had some personal experiences with him, but mostly I just like to observe the greatness of Bob Gibson. Mm-hmm. Anytime he paid a visit to St. Louis is very, very special. He made his home in Omaha, but anytime he came to Bush Stadium, he lit the place up. No doubt about it. And, you know, had a great laugh, great big smile, uh, very warm, welcoming person. Not at all what you would think, not never standoffish, embraced by the fans, and, and he loved them right back. In his nine World Series games, Relief pitchers pitched one inning. Yeah, you know he had he had more complete games than he had wins, right? Yeah, so, he did. yeah. I mean, it's just um, you know, it'll never happen again. 
and there'll never be anyone like him. He was uh, remarkable. Think about some of the pain that he pitched through also, but he was going to finish mm-hmm. what he started, and he wasn't mm-hmm. going to let anyone get in his way. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want to take him out of the game, that's for sure. <laughs> but he was also really, you know, he's a good hitter, had some good power. Yeah, had a home uh, run in the World Series. Yep. yep. And, you know, the Cardinals knew that when Bob Gibson was taking the mound that they had an opportunity and were most likely going to win that game. And that was what an amazing thing to think about when you entered a World Series that you were going to have him start three games for you. Wow. I wow. mean, that's, that's a huge, huge advantage. And one of my favorite stories is the one that Tim McCarver tells, and that's when they're in Cooperstown and Steve Carlton goes into the Hall of Fame and McCarver's Carlton's presenter, and he gives you know, a speech, and he said, you know, Carlton, they were close. You know, he was just catching. He said, Steve Carlton is the best slider that I ever saw. And, you know, talks about him. Carlton gives a speech. Ceremony comes to an end, and they all get up from their seats up on stage. He said, I look over, and through the crowd of people, Bob is coming towards me like, swimming through the crowd of people to get to me and he gets right up to me and looks at me and he goes the best left-handed slider (laughs) 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 he just couldn't let it go yeah (laughs) yeah you know just always the competitor and tough and what a great iconic name in baseball history You, you count on one hand yeah the pitchers that you would want to pitch one game for you yeah and he's one of them yeah Tell me your memories of Lou Brock. Lou and I were very close, and I miss him a lot. Just talked to his wife recently to see how she's doing. And uh, we got to know each other, again, through working on charities. You know, we ended up on a – we actually met through the Cardinals at the winter warm-up many years ago, late 90s. But it wasn't long after that that I was asked to serve on a committee with him and we ended up working together on his golf tournament for many years and became very close. I really looked up to him um, as a model dad and, and husband and person mm-hmm. and cared about him quite a bit and spent a lot of time with him at not only events but at his home and really was treated like part of the family. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I did not get to see him play in person, but I promise you I did my homework and when you hang out as much with him as I did, I got to hear lots of stories. And the thing was, even when he was battling illness later in his life, you started talking baseball with him, his energy would perk up for sure. And he loved telling those stories and, and loved getting into all that, especially with kids. He loved to talk to kids about the game and about his career. We had a really great, fun relationship, and I miss him a ton. Tom Ackerman, sports director for KMOX. This has been such a kick for me to catch up with you in the offseason, particularly after a crazy 2020. And let's hope that we see each other in Jupiter in just a few months. I cannot wait for that. We're going to get everything back. And you know what? If we're not at full capacity at spring training, that's there eventually. But um, it's going to be nice to hear that crack of the bat again, the ball popping into the glove and being under the sun and get back to what we know. Just little by little, we're going to start feeling normal again. That's for sure. And I know sports play a huge role in that. Well, Tom, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it very much. Listen each week for a new episode. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. Life at the Ballpark is produced by Jim Governale. 
project manager is Andrew Miller. I'm John Frost, sharing stories of life at the ballpark.